Uh, I want you to turn to your Bibles, in your Bibles, to the book of Luke. Pam, is this your water or mine? Okay, okay, that's fine. I didn't want to drink after you might have COVID. Uh, you know, so that's handy. That comes in good. Luke, Luke chapter. Uh, I think my mic come loose here. Luke chapter sixteen. Luke chapter sixteen. And we're going to take our reading down to verse 19. As we read this, it's um, some people consider this to be a parable. Some people consider it to be a true account. Uh, I personally take that account that it was a uh, it was uh, no doubt a true account that had gotten passed down through uh, generations, and uh, Jesus is using it in a teaching moment, if you would. But Luke chapter 16, verses 19 through 28, we find there it's the story of the rich man and Lazarus. Many of you have probably heard it before, um, but it's it's powerful. It's, it's an account of two men. Uh, these men were uh, diverse. Diverse is actually an understatement. <clears throat> They're from totally opposite ends of the spectrum. One man has everything that a person could absolutely want. We call him the rich man. The other man had nothing. Nothing. He, he had even less than nothing because when we read this, when I, when we read this scripture in just a moment, you're going to find out that this man was, he was so poor that the, the dogs actually came by and, and licked the sores and nursed the sores of his body, if you would. Has, and, and these were, uh, probably not domesticated dogs in the sense that we think of. They were probably wild dogs, junkyard dogs, if you would. Uh, dogs, dogs weren't necessarily domesticated in that time quite like they are now. So, so, so we read that the dogs came and licked his sores. We're, and we're, we're going to find as we read this scripture that while their lifestyles were opposite ends of this social spectrum, that there was one thing that they both have in common. And it is they both died. They both died. You see, death is an uncertainty. Short of rapturing at the rapture of the church, unless you're like Enoch and you were here and then you were gone, short of the rapture of the church, every one of us in this room has a 100% chance that we're going to die. Now, that's sort of morbid to think about, isn't it? You know, we don't like to think about it a whole lot, but the 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 chances are 100% that we will die. As certain as we're born, we, we will die. Now, in that, that put the rich man and Lazarus on the same playing field, if you would. The death is uh, death is known as by many people as the grim reaper. It comes and it reaps. Solomon understood death very much so. Solomon, when we go back and we read uh, in his words of wisdom in Ecclesiastes chapter three, Solomon says, "To everything there is a season." And to every, there is a purpose to everything. There is a purpose under heaven. And Solomon says very, very 
plainly spoken. There's a time to be born and there's a time to die. You thought, man, I came to church this morning, preacher, to get uplifted. And here you're talking about dying. Well, Solomon went on to say, as he came from his mother's womb, in Ecclesiastes 5, he says, as he came from his mother's womb naked, shall he return to go as he came, and he shall take nothing from his labor. Solomon was a man that had achieved, in one sense, everything that could have been achieved in life. But when it came down to the end, Solomon realized he couldn't take anything with him. In fact, in another another one of his writings, Solomon said that, that, that life was vanity. It was vain at the best. It was vanity of vanities. When we read Ecclesiastes chapter 8, Solomon says that no one has power over the wind to contain it. And so also no one has power over their time of death. I was talking to uh, the Dumfords back here before service because Mishonda's dad, we've been praying for him for a long time now. And uh, we know when it comes down to that season of, of, of it's, it's almost like a waiting thing. We know that our, our loved one has, their health has deteriorated and we're, we're just waiting and we're, there's almost a bit of anxiousness. We're, we're not that we want to lose them, but we wonder when that moment's coming. But you know, in reality, it doesn't matter if we're, if we're sick or if we're well, if we're young or if we're old. The reality of it is, the reality of it is, we, we, yes, there's some decisions we can make. We can use common sense and we can, uh, you know, practice some safety, but <clears throat> excuse me, I'm a firm believer. I'm a firm believer. My theology, if you would, is is we all have an appointed time, and when that appointed time comes, whether it's COVID, whether you're in an airplane or riding your Harley down the road, whatever it is, when that time comes, God is going to call for you. I'm a I'm a believer in that. And nobody has the power over the time of death. When we study Hebrews, uh, the, the Hebrew book of Hebrews in the New Testament, we find in the, in the Hebrew writer in Hebrews 9 and 27, he said, it's appointed once unto man to die, then the judgment comes. Whether you're lost or whether you're saved, there's, there's a judgment. Now, they're different, but yet there is a judgment. Now, having said all of that, let's go back and read Luke chapter 16. Remember, two men, totally different ends of the spectrum, if you would, as we would call it, socioeconomic. But they had one thing in common, and that was death. There was a rich man who was dressed in purple and fine linen, and he lived in luxury every day. At his gate was laid a beggar named Lazarus, covered with sores and longing to eat what fell from the rich man's table. Even the dogs came and licked his sores. The time came when the beggar died and the angels carried him into Abraham's bosom. The rich man also died and was buried. And in this particular New International Word, it used the word Hades. In your King James, you'll find the word hell. And in hell, where he was in torment, he looked up. And he saw Abraham far away 
with Lazarus by his side. So he called to him, Father Abraham, have pity on me and send Lazarus to dip the tip of his finger in water and cool my tongue because I'm in agony in this fire. But Abraham replied, and understand here with me, let me pause just a second. Understand here, Abraham is, is if you would, is as is the voice of God. But Abraham replied, Son, remember that in your lifetime you received your good things, while Lazarus received bad things. But now he is comforted here, and you are in agony. And besides all of this, between us and you, there's a great chasm that's been set in place. And it's set in place so that those who want to go from here to you cannot, nor can anyone cross from there to us. Wow. I want you to think about that. Have you, have you ever thought about that? Now, I'm going to elaborate on it just a little bit more, a little bit more detail. Have you ever think about, in this illustration, hell can see everything that's going on in heaven. But they can't do anything about it. Nor can anyone cross from there to us. In verse 27, he answered. The rich man said, Then I beg you, Father... Send Lazarus to my family. For I have five brothers and their families. I have five brothers. Let him warn them so that they will not also come to this place of torment. I want to preach to you a message this morning that I've entitled, Four Things... That hell has and the church needs. Four things that hell has and the church needs. Y'all are quiet on me this morning. Four things that hell has and the church needs. The first thing I want to, uh, before I go into the first thing, uh, the, I want to underline or outline just a few things. We've talked about death this morning, and obviously we've talked about hell, the reality of hell and heaven. And I'm, I'm preaching to you with the firm belief that they are both literal places. Some people would say that they're basically figments of imagination. Some, some teach that, some would teach that hell is, is basically that you die and you're not resurrected, but that contradicts the Word of God because there is a, the Bible completely and explicitly outlines a resurrection of both the saved and the unsaved alike. So, so I'm preaching to you about death. I'm preaching to you about two different lives. I'm preaching to you about the reality of the reality of a heaven and the reality of a hell. The one thing that I think you need to know before we look into the four things that hell has and the church needs is it, that it's our decision. You see, un, the, the final decision of these two men was not based on their social economic status itself. In fact, when it comes down to it, we could, for for a sense of speaking, we could put the social economic differences out of our mind. 
Because that really has nothing to do in one sense with one going to heaven and one going to hell. And what I'm saying by that is, is, is people that have, uh, succeeded as we observe it in life, it doesn't mean they can't go to heaven, nor does it mean that, that poor people won't go to hell. You see, that has really nothing to do with it at all. But what ha- does have everything to do with it is it's the condition of their hearts. Now, we look at this and we can make an assumption that that this poor man, uh, he had nothing else to depend on except God because he had nothing else. But this rich man, he was... He, he, he had wealth. He had everything that he needed according to the word. He had everything he probably needed and most everything that he wanted. And perhaps that did cause him not to call on God. But one thing that we can know for sure is there was a lack of a relationship between, uh, of course, we see it, Father Abraham or the presence of God and their lives. So it's the conditions of their heart that have brought them to the place that we now find them in. It was a decision of their own making and not of God's choosing at all. Somebody said, I don't believe a loving God would send people to hell. You're exactly right. God doesn't send people to hell. God, God, God has never sent anyone to hell he, uh, other, than, other than Satan and his fallen angels. And that's where God says that hell was created for them. But he wasn't create, hell wasn't created for us. But it's about a decision that we make. And every one of us either have made that decision or that decision is still pending in our lives. We've, I've already talked about this being literal locations. The bosom of Abraham, as you'll find in the King James wording, that, that, that's, that is speaking of the presence of what you and I now in this day and time we would call heaven. It's, it's a safe place. It's a safe place that where there is keeping and protection from all harm. You'll notice that uh, in Abraham's bosom uh, is where Lazarus is dwelling. And there is nothing that indicates that Lazarus has any conscious or any idea of Abraham's location or even in the fact that Abraham is not present with them. You see, when I turn over and I, I, I read the book of Revelation and there, there's a lot to unfold in the, in the day of judgment and there's a lot to unfold in the book of Revelation. But there's one part in the book of Revelation follows the, the, the judgment seat of the saints and the, and then the, the white throne judgment which is the judgment of the lost and then we, we go on and I'm summarizing this and as I put it in a short summary that we find there comes a point in time where every tear is wiped from the eye of those that believe. You see, there, there, uh, I, I don't know exactly what time. I, I, I can't say that I can pinpoint it down. But there will be a point in time when, when, we're, when we, we that have made the decision to serve Christ and have entered into the presence of the Lord that, that every tear will be wiped from our eye. There will be no more sadness. There will be no more pain. We will not recognize those who are not among us. And regardless of what we think, everybody doesn't go to heaven. They don't. They don't. If, if we, if we lack a decision, if we lack a relationship with Jesus Christ, we're not going to heaven. Now that sounds a bit cruel. That sounds a bit mean in so many ways. 
But God's given us the opportunity. I have no doubts in my mind that both Abraham, or the rich man and Lazarus, both of them had the opportunity to believe upon God. Now they didn't have Christ in the capacity we know of, but there was an opportunity of salvation in their life. So, so we see that there's literal locations. The comparison of hell, it, when we look at hell, the place where the rich man is at, it's a place of conscious reality. He knew he was there. He, he knew he was there, but not only did he know where he was at, but I want you to also understand this, realize it, read it with your own eyes and hear it with your own ears. Understand this. More important than the, 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 the rich man knowing where he was at was he understood where he was not at. He understood that he was not in the bosom of Abraham. He understood that he had missed God. He understood that he was not in heaven. Okay? So, so when we look at that, I, I, I'm of the notion, if you would, and I'll just say it that way. I'm of the notion that, that, that part of the torment of hell is knowing that there is eternal separation from the presence of God. And I don't think any of us can comprehend that. I don't think we're ready for that, but that is part of the torment of hell. So, life lessons, I'm a firm believer, life lessons of other people are more comfortable. You know, I've learned a lot of lessons in my years because of dumb stuff that I've done. You ever done, Larry's shaking his head. You ever done any dumb stuff, Larry? You know, I've done some dumb stuff. But you know what? When you're learning lessons on your own, they can be painful. But when you see other people do dumb stuff and you thought, boy, they were really dumb. <laughs> I'm not going to do that. Uh, it's a whole lot easier on you <laughs> to, to be honest about it. It's just so much easier when you look at lessons that other people have learned in life and you can say, boy, I'm not going to be that dumb. I'm not going to do that. L- listen, life lessons are easier when we learn them from other people. So as we look at these two fellas, there's much to be learned from both of them. The rich man, he made some poor or it's actually may have even been, probably was the lack of decisions. Many lessons can be taught out of this particular verse of scripture and we can use it to admonish people to get saved you know we used to talk about there's a heaven to gain and a hell to shun but quite frankly we don't hear a whole lot of preaching about hell anymore we don't like to talk about the place where the worm, the, the conscious mind, dieth not. We don't like to talk about the place where uh, is eternal fire, eternal flame, but yet it, it's, it doesn't. Cons- you're not consumed. We don't like talking about hell too much anymore. We certainly love celebrating heaven, and I understand that. But there's much that we can learn from this account as the church, as believers. That brings me to my title about the four things that that hell has that the church needs because i want us to look at this rich man and i want us to learn something from him this morning 
I want us to, as, as as believers, as followers of Jesus. Now, if you're here and you're not saved, you need to make, a, I admonish you to make a decision. You have a decision before you to make whether or not to, to believe upon Jesus Christ and be saved. But you and I here as as believers and you and I as the church, Voice of Praise Worship Center, the, the church, if you would, universal, there's much to be learned. The first thing that I want to share with you this morning is four things that hell has that the church needs. When you read about this rich man, the first thing that you will find that he does is when he opens up his eyes, his first instinct and the first thing that happens to him is that he prays. You know, we, uh, we've had Dr. Bob Small in our, uh, local conference in the Appalachian conference a few months, couple months ago, and then he spoke to us last week down in, uh, uh, Jacksonville at General Convention. But you know what? Uh, Dr. Small, his, his, his focus of ministry is on prayer. And it would startle you the numbers that are given of believers that pray very little. If they pray at all. You would be startled at the number of churches that have no focus, no emphasis on prayer whatsoever. When you look at verse 24 and you think about what what uh, this rich man is calling for, he, you see him calling for mercy. He's calling for help. He's calling for somebody to just come and help him. A plea that comes out of the situation. You know, it's... The church is called to be salt. We're called to be salt and light in the earth. We're called, the church, you know, you'll say, oh, I can't pray for everybody. But yet we find that we we are called because we are the salt and light. We are called to pray for for the peace over Jerusalem. We are called to pray for for those people that, that are not serving the Lord. We are even called to pray for those that would despitefully use us, that abuse us, those Listen, you want to know how to forgive somebody that you're having a hard time forgiving? Pray for them. Pray for them. So the first thing that we see coming out of hell that we need as a church is this rich man suddenly, if he didn't already know, he has suddenly learned how to pray. And he's praying, and he's praying not only for his own means, he's a plea, a plea of desperation coming out of his situation, but he's also praying for others, his family, that are still left behind. The second thing that we see coming out of this is we see a thirst. Of course, he's in hell. He's in the hottest place that any of us could ever imagine. And it's, and it's, and it's going on forever. It's for all eternity. But, but he cries out. He cries out. Just, if you would, just let Lazarus just dip his fingertip in water and come and drop. Now, how much, quite honestly, how much water could you hold on your fingertip? Not very much. But that's how desperate things are. That's how intense the thirst was. That's how much he needed. To be touched. You know what? 
we look around and sometimes, and I'm preaching to the church right now, but sometimes we'll look around, look around and we'll say, well, the church is dwindling away, or the church is in decline, or, or we live in, we're living as Americans, we're living in a post-Christian society, and we can look around and we can say all kinds of things about what is happening in the American church, but the reality of it may just be that we have lost our thirst for not just the presence of God, but we have lost our thirst and our hunger to see lost people saved. Yeah. We have lost our thirst. We have lost our thirst. There's great danger in losing your thirst when you go back and you read the prophet Jeremiah in Jeremiah chapter 2 and verse 13. The Lord tells Jeremiah this. He said, my people have committed two sins. Number one, they have forsaken me. Number two, they have dug their own cisterns, broken cisterns that have no water or cannot hold water. You see, to read that in its entirety, it says, My people committed two sins. They've forsaken me, the spring of living water, and they've dug their own cisterns, broken cisterns that cannot hold water. You know, the, the, the church, and I've spoken so much, even spoke in life groups this morning about the Laodicean church. The Laodicean church age is an age where the church comes to a place where they say, we're rich, we're increased with goods, and we really don't have need of anything. Isn't it a little bit odd that the Laodicean church is a lot like the rich man that ended up in hell? Isn't that a little bit peculiar to you? But, but, but I see a church, I see a church, and listen, I'm not talking about a church of self-indulgence. I'm not talking about, we, most of us in this room, we're going to seek God, we're going to, we're going to thirst, you know, and say, God, I want your blessing. You know, Pentecostals are really bad. We are, we are, we are, we are blessing addicts, most Pentecostals are. We, we, we're, I can remember and, and it don't happen anymore because number one, one thing, they don't happen anymore. I can remember I used to go to revival every night for 12 or 13 weeks. Not that I was preaching it. I want to go get me a blessing. I was going to get me a blessing. I was continually looking for a blessing. Well, churches don't have revivals like that anymore. You don't hear too much about two and three and four and six weeks revivals like they used to be back in the 80s. And they were good and they were well and they served their purpose. I know all that. But I Understand with me, we as the people of God are not thirsting after Him and we're not thirsting after His kingdom anymore. We're not worried about who's going to get saved. We're not worried about the rich man that is going to end up across the gulf that is fixed. We're not too concerned about that anymore. But the church, the one thing that we can learn is we need to have a thirst for other people. And when you read Matthew chapter 5, Jesus said, blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they shall be satisfied. When we have a thirst for the things of God, I think we will see revival. But I have a feeling there's not too many of us thirsty. I have a feeling the church world as a whole is not really very thirsty. You know... Man, when I'm up here and I'm doing something, and and if somebody has already drank all the diet Dr Pepper out of the refrigerator in the fellowship hall, and whoever you did, whoever did that, I will pray for you. Now I don't own it. 
I can't drink that Diet Coke. It's of the devil. You know, it's just demonic. But listen, when I get thirsty enough, I go, I go down, I go down to cargo. Bless God. I don't care if it does cost $2.29 for a little bottle while, while we complaining about gas. And I don't like the gas being as high as it is, but we complain about a gallon of gas being $3.99. I'll go down there and play $2.29 for less than a quart of Diet Dr. Pepper because I'm thirsty for it and I want it. How bad do we want Jesus? How much do we want the Holy Spirit working in our lives? How much do we really want our loved ones to be saved? Four things that hell has that the church needs. One is prayer. The second one's thirst. Hang with me. Because the third one has grown to the hip of the second one, if you would. We need a burden for the lost. You see, the rich man said... Okay, he, he accepted the fact, you're not gonna come get me. You're not, Lazarus can't come. You know, he's forbidden to come across that gulf and, and drip, drip one drop of water on my tongue. So, so, it's, I, I can, ex, I accept that. I realize that the rich man is saying, but here's what he conveys. He said, somebody's gotta go back and tell my five brothers. Somebody's gotta go back and tell my family. I know what this place is like. You know, there used to be, I, and you may have even done it here, there's there's a play that used to go around. It was called Heaven's Gate and Hell's Flames. And pardon me for saying like this, but the whole purpose of that Heaven's Gate and Hell's Flames is to scare the hell out of people. That's what it was about. Because, because listen, and we, we, we need a burden for the lost. We need to realize the reality of hell. We need to realize the reality of eternal destruction, eternal punishment in hell. And, 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 and if, it, listen, I'm, I'm not being critical. I don't have any church on my mind other than voice of praise right at this moment. But sometimes, uh, sometimes I'll go by and I'll see church signs. Sometimes church signs can be real stupid. Can anybody give me an amen? And when I go by and I see a church sign that says something like, Stop, drop, and roll does not work in hell. That aggravates me. Because we're almost making it lighthearted. But let me tell you, there is nothing, nothing, absolutely nothing that any human being will ever face there is nothing that they will ever encounter. There is nothing that they will ever face. There is nothing, nothing, absolutely nothing as terrible as hell. And sometimes I think we forgot about that. You see, the, the rich man, he had a burden for the lost because he, it was too late. He understood the reality of hell. I hope that nobody in this room experiences hell. Because we already established and we saw there's a great gulf. You know, that, that there was no escape. Listen, there is no purgatory. And hell is not something to be taken lightly. But it's to be taken literally. And it's been to be taken very sincerely. Man, I didn't know I was going all this. I, I'm going to go into overtime today. I didn't get to preach last Sunday. 
So I'm in overtime today. Y'all's y'all's fault. Uh, so you go, th- you're going through the funeral line down at Craven Shires. Somebody has passed away. You walk up to the, to the casket wherein lies their shell, the body that they lived in. And you're, you're standing there and, and stand up here a minute, miss you, with me, you know, and, uh, you know, and, uh, you know, Sarah and be the dead person. And then, and, and, did, don't just, did you ever think about this? You're looking at somebody that's dead and you say, boy, don't she look good. She's dead. Yeah. And then the next thing we will say, oftentimes is, I wonder if they ever got saved. I wonder, you know whether she got saved or not? I hope so. I hope so. I was aiming to go by and see her one day. I knew she had been sick. Or the Lord spoke to me and told me and, and, and really burdened me. But I never did go by and say, I, I wish I had now. You see, but then it's too late. You see, but we need a burden. We need a burden for lost people. We need a burden. Lost people don't mean they're bad people. So we got we we got to lose that notion. We live in a society where if somebody don't agree with us and they hate us. They're an enemy. We got to lose that notion. Lost people, lost people are are going to hell if they don't meet Jesus. And we should have a burden for lost people. I don't care if they're, if they're as mean as Ebenezer Scrooge or, or the Grinch or, or whoever else you can think about. I don't care how mean they are, how wicked they are. Nobody, there is nobody on the face of the earth that we should desire ends up in hell. You see, if we had the prayer of the rich man, if we had the thirst of the rich man, if we had the burden for the lost of the rich man, and lastly, if we could get a vision of heaven. If we could get a vision of heaven. You see, I've already elaborated to this this rich man. He he's in the bosom of uh the rich man is in hell. He's in he's in hell. He is he is he is in no comfort zone whatsoever. He he is looking across the the King James I think uses the word a great gulf that is fixed fixed when you flesh that out in scripture through interpretation you sketch that out it means it is permanent it's irrevocable it will never move there is no escape from where this rich man is at A.K. but yet we find the conscious state. That he can open his eyes and he can look across that gulf, that, 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 that harbor, that, that pond, whatever you want, however big you want to imagine. And, and he can see across that and he can see into the bosom of Abraham, which is heaven itself. And there he sees right in the, right in the middle of, right in, right in Abraham. And listen, when you think about the bosom, when you think about the bosom, the bosom is the nurturing part of the body, more so thought about with with moms than 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 the men, but but he sees this beggar that was being licked by dogs, having everything, 
Everything is always going to be perfect. Everything is always going to be right. But he knows that he is in hell. He is conscious of where he's at. And he even has the opportunity to call on Abraham. Or he calls on God. And God basically says, no. No. I can't come and get you. No. I can't send Lazarus. Well, will you pray for my family? Will you send Lazarus to my family? You see, we need the vision of heaven. This rich man called a vision of heaven. But his vision came too late. You see, to, to us, we sing about it, we talk about it, we worship about it. But, but, but I'm talking about our vision of heaven being more than streets of gold, walls of jasper, and a gate made out of one huge, gigantic, shiny pearl. I'm talking about more than that. Because if heaven did not have walls of jasper, gates of pearl, streets of gold, the river of life right in the middle of it. If heaven contained none of those things, it would still be heaven because it is in the presence of Jehovah God. It is the presence of the Lord. If we as a church, if we can get a vision of heaven, if we can understand, if we can get a clear vision of who God really is. Remember, based on this story, hell can see into heaven. But heaven is oblivious to the presence of hell. If we can understand the, 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 the importance, if we can understand the critical nature of entering into the presence of God. I said a whole lot about Solomon and shared several scriptures from Ecclesiastes. But another scripture, and I, I didn't mark it, so I, you, you can look it up though. You can use your phone or whatever. But, but when you read one of Solomon's words, it says, the way a tree falleth is the way it will lay. The way we leave, leave this world is the way we will spend eternity. The rich man, unfortunately, is still in the presence of torment. The rich man, unfortunately, if you come back, Ten years from now, the rich man is still in torment. But on the other hand, that poor beggar that didn't have nothing, the dogs licked his sores. He entered into the presence of Abraham's bosom because he had proven himself to believe in God. He had believed in the Lord in the capacity that he entered into his presence and there forever that however many thousands of years it's been now, we now, we can really be assured and trust and realize that in Abraham's bosom or in the presence of heaven, listen, if you get there and I get there, when we, when we get to heaven, you know, we sing a song, when we all get to heaven, what a day of rejoicing that will be. And you know, I, we'll get to see all these different people, but we hardly ever talk about it. But, but, but I want you to remember this. When you get to heaven, you get to see this old beggar that laid on the streets and the dogs licked his sores. But he believed upon God and he entered into the presence of the Lord. And he didn't realize that his friend, we'll call it, his friend the rich man, 
is not there. But yet the rich man, throughout all these thousands of years, that rich man is still looking up every day, every day as we call a day, for all of eternity, that rich man is still looking up and he realizes, I missed. I missed. Four things that hell has that this rich man Four things that came out of hell. Prayer of mercy. A thirst for the presence of God. A burden for the lost. And a vision and an understanding of heaven. That's four things that hell has to offer us through this rich man. And that the church needs right now. Right now. I know this is not the message that makes you want to shout, dance the aisles, run the back of the pews, or swing from the chandeliers. But it is reality of what we need as the church. And let me tell you something. If the church could come, if the church could grasp these four simple points, if we could take these four lessons out of hell and apply them to our lives, we talk so much about revival. We talk so much about the good old days. But let me tell you something. If, if, if our memories of the past are greater than the vision of our future, we're in trouble. Good old days were fine and they're dandy. They're, they're, it's nice to reminisce. But we need to have a vision. We need to have, we need to realize that God still wants to bring revival. God still wants to bring renewal. God still wants to save souls. God still wants to, to, as Jude said, if you go over and you read the, the book of Jude, he said, pull some out of the fire by using fear if it's necessary. Four things. He'll have. justified and by and, and, and this morning you and I the only way that we can be saved is by faith in the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ and I just gave that to you in a nutshell so if you're in this room this morning and you've never been saved or maybe you have turned your back on God maybe you maybe you've walked with him but you, you, you've backslid and you've wandered far away you've been a product of either of those situations applies to you this morning without any embarrassment.
Lord, I would like to know. Can I pray for you?